Joining me now, he covers the NFL and has really been all over the place this offseason. A good friend of mine, long time since I've had him on a show. It is Jordan Schultz. Jordan, it's great to see you again and finally be doing one of these. You too, Ari. It's a pleasure, as you know, and I'm fired up to talk shop. No, for sure. So as I said in the beginning, man, you, you have been all over the place. You've been breaking news left and right. And what I wanted to do, we're roughly 10 weeks away from the start of the season. Training camp is under a month away. It's going to be full force football really, really soon. Last week, I did a top 10 training camp storylines pod. People check that out if they haven't yet. But what I want to do today, I just listed a bunch of random questions that I have about this upcoming season. And I want to run through them here with you. I think there's a lot of fun topics, player topics, team topics. I think it's going to be really good. Before I get to that, though, I do want to, want to talk about one thing that you broke last week, made headline all over the place. Rob Gronkowski, he tells you, Jordan, tell the world I'm retiring. You do that, Twitter explodes. Everyone's <laughs> going crazy. How is this going to happen? If Tom is back, he should be back as well. I guess... Is he actually retired? I guess is my question because I truly don't understand this because as soon as it happens, his agent is literally like disagreeing with him. I've never seen this happen before. I know. <laughs> so like from your conversations with Rob, do you believe this is it? Or is there even a 1% chance that he's going to be back this season in November, November, December, playoff football, whatever it is? Yeah, Drew was like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back. It, that was like minutes after. Have you ever seen that before? No. I mean, unprecedented, regardless of sport. But um, my sense when I spoke with Rob, and this wasn't the only conversation we've had, Ari. We, we've had quite a few leading up to this moment. But I felt like he was really content. You know, when he when he called me and he said, all right, I'm done. I was like, you're, you're kidding, right? Because I really believed there was a great shot he was going to come back. You know, he had a pretty good season last year. The offense looks great. They're going to contend again. And it's Tom Brady. Um, but his sense, to, or my sense with Rob was like, here's a guy who's 33 years old, has been through a lot from an injury standpoint. You know, you go back all the way to college. He breaks his back at the University of Arizona, has a plate put in it, slips in a draft. And then we know he's had multiple injuries. So for me, I see a guy who's content, who's happy. He's doing a lot of investing. We'll see him on TV. Um, you know, he's growing his brand. You know, he's got Gronk Beach, Gronk Fitness. If I had to guess, is it 100%? I mean, nothing's 100%. If Tom Brady calls you in week 10 and says, you know what, Rob, uh, I'm not having this connection with, with Cam Brate and, and O.J. Howard. I need you, I need you, big dog. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he come back, if he came back. And I was with Tom briefly uh, about seven weeks ago. And so this was before any of the inkling that Rob wasn't going to play. And I was like, have you, you, know, you talked to Rob? I was kind of trying to gauge him. And he was like, you know, Rob's basically, he basically was like, Rob's going to do Rob. Like, you know, he's going to take his time. He's going to make his decision. But what I took from that was they have a great relationship, which is what we already knew. And so much so that if Tom does call you, it makes me believe that at least there's a consideration. So I wouldn't be shocked to, Drew, to Drew's point if he came back. The thing that confused me about all of it is just the timing we're talking yeah. about end of june like usually when a player retires we're talking about february march april fine may end of june do you feel like there's an element of was he going back and forth is there maybe a money element to it because 
it sounds a bit crazy, but like this is the greatest tight end of our generation. He played 11 seasons. You would think his career earnings is well over 100 million. It's it's about 70. So like he really hasn't made the amount of money that he should for considering his play and how great he is. Do you feel like maybe there could be a money element to it because it happened no. in late June? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think because he's capitalized so much on his brand off the field. You know, I mean, I he he has because of who he is and his persona. Ari Rob has been able to find all these different lanes that he he wouldn't have had otherwise. So the seventy million that does seem like a low number for a guy who was all decade and the hundredth anniversary team. Uh, but I think because of his persona, he's been able to find success elsewhere. And I and I the sense I got and have gotten after spending a considerable amount of time with him over the last few months is he's got so many other interests that, you know, really he hasn't been able to pursue full on because of football that he's going to now do. So the thing that I do know is that he's on the record that only quarterback I'm ever going to play with is Tom Brady. So Tom initially retired. He came back. People believe this could be his last year. So in order for Rob to play football, you would think you would have to come back this year because this could be Tom's final year in the NFL. All right, let me jump into a couple of these questions that I had over here. And I have some really good ones. And the first one is a bit out of left field a little bit because it happened a few months ago. People probably forgot about it because so much has happened since. It's Allen Robinson. You actually broke the story that he's going to the Rams. I think it shocked a lot of people because it's like them. They, they already have all these good guys. How are they even adding him, right? But he goes to the Rams. Could you just go back to when that happened? Because I was at the combine. Allen Robinson actually was there. He was walking around, talking to people, but whatever. But like, I always felt like from all the teams, I would have never imagined being at the Rams. But this is the first time he's going to have a really good quarterback, um, a really good team around him. Talk about that decision to go there because I'm super intrigued of him and Cooper Cup together along with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited about this because um, to your point, you know, Andy Dalton, uh, you know, he had Blake Bortles. So, uh, you know, rookie Justin Fields, who I do think is going to be a great player, but a very young guy. Allen, basically what, what happened was, let me, let me take you back to your, to your question. There were multiple teams in the mix. And if you remember, he signed late. You know, he wasn't one of those first wave guys. There were other receivers like a Christian Kirk who went off the board, DJ Chark, who got double digit, you know, million. You know, I think Christian Kirk, was he 15 per? Was that, was that about right? <laughs> he was 17. The 17. So tremendous amount of money. Um, and Allen, I think, knew that there was going to be interest. He knew that it wasn't going to be, he knew he wasn't coming back to Chicago, given everything that's transpired there. But he also was like, let me be deliberate about this. and and not rush and there was a tremendous balance there between him and his agent Brandon Parker at Vayner Sports of trying to not take the first or second best deal but also not wait too long where the money's dried up and someone like Allen is not going to be able to get paid and there was a lot of cat and mouse there and obviously at first a lot of teams are interested and then when you say what you want they say we don't have the money to do that and then they go out and maybe they sign someone else in Allen's case It came down to two teams. There was another NFC team. uh, I can't say the team. I would love to say it. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Probably already know. So there was was another team that was right there. And actually the night before 
I thought, based on ta- my conversations uh, with multiple people familiar with the situation, was that he was going to sign with that team that night. Then I get alert. Then I get an alert. It's not going to happen tonight. Probably going to happen tomorrow. So I go to sleep barely. I wake up in the morning and I get these alerts of it's going to happen in the next 15, 20 minutes. It might not be the team we thought last night. Now, granted, I'm now hearing from other people that it's definitely that team. So now when I'm talking to Alan's camp, I'm not 100% sure what to believe. Now, I know that they're telling me the truth, but do other people, are they lying or are they just misinformed that it's the other team? So finally, it comes to the point where I'm basically told, look, it's going to be a decision in the next five minutes. It's going to be either that team or the Rams. It's going to be a considerable contract, um, you know, a lot of guaranteed money, a lot of years, and uh, we're excited about both, but we don't know just yet. So I'm on my phone waiting and waiting, and it just seems like forever. Or you've been in that situation where you know that someone else is going to get the story and you're going to, you're going to lose it, and you're just going to have to deal with it because that had just happened with Chandler Jones. And so but bottom line is I get the text, Rams. And, and that's it. So it's the Rams. So I know it's the Rams now. And so my information was, was good. But what, what, what went into it was more interesting because the fact that he's able to go to the Rams, basically how it went down was the best part. He gets a call from Les Snead that morning or, that, or the night before saying, hey, what's going on? Are you still interested potentially? Or can we at least have a conversation? Now, they were ready to take that offer from this other team. But out of respect for Les and the fact that it is the, the Super Bowl champs, hey, let's take this call. Les gets Sean McVay on the call. All of a sudden, they start talking. And it's really enticing if you're Allen Robinson when you start hearing about, we're going to design part of our offense around you alongside Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford. So that was really, really exciting for him. And I think he felt like this is a team, an organization that gets me, that really wants me there. And ultimately, that's what went into his decision. Not just the fact that it's Cooper Cup 1A, but it's more of like a 1A, 1B. And they have already found tremendous synergy, Cup and Robinson, early on. Like, they are locked in. There's going to be a ton of, like, you know, twin sets with them. They're going to be really in tandem, I think. And I I honestly believe Allen's going to have his best season. You know, I love that fit there in L.A. with Cooper Cup. You know, it's such an underrated move because people just forgot about him last year because it was such a down year. Rookie quarterback, head coach on the hot seat. He just, he didn't want to be there. People remember the year before he didn't want to get tagged. He was basically forced into staying in Chicago. Now he's entering this situation. From what I understood also, it was that Sean McVay was the one who really pushed us to the finish line. Like Sean got on the phone and was like, come over here. We have a plan. You'll be in this offense. You'll have a lot of fun. And that got to the finish line because the other team, I guess we won't mention it, but from my understanding, that team was more, it's more of an up and coming type of NFC team right now. And I think they really were close to going there until Sean got on the phone. Until Sean got on the phone. When Sean got on the phone, I think it switched his mind to go to LA, which I think is the right decision for him, not just as a, um, you know, for him to be happy a little bit, but also just have production there in that offense. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him there in that offense. People are forgotten about him a little bit. OBJ still might come back, but I'm fascinated by him pairing up with Cooper Cup in LA. I want to stick to this wide receiver topic because 
I also know you're close buddies with DK Metcalf. You guys once did a really fun Instagram live conversation. I still remember that like it was yesterday, but like I'm fascinated by his situation as well. I, I, I He's the one receiver who's in a contract year who has not made a big fuss. He didn't make a whole thing like Devo Samuel, didn't make a whole thing the way AJ Brown sort of did. He's been like, I want to be in Seattle, but he skips mandatory minicamp. So that felt like a statement to me, like, hey, we got to get this done or I'm going to take this up to the next level. Where do you think things are right now with DK and Seattle? No Russell Wilson anymore. Do you think a deal could get done here or could things get a little bit more serious once training camp rolls around? Uh, so my understanding is there's still a lot that needs to get done to get a deal done. Like a lot needs to happen. Um, but Seattle values DK a, a tremendous amount. Um, I, I don't think there's any question about it. And you have to remember too, that DK, AJ Brown, and Debo are all represented by Tory Dandy at CAA. So AJ got his money. We're going to have to see what happens with Debo. And DK is, to your point, Ari, is, is, has been rather quiet. You know, he's 24 years old. My, If I had to guess, I, I think a deal will get done in Seattle. And you have to, I think you're looking at four or five, I wrote it down, four or five years, 110 to 140 million, somewhere around 70 guaranteed. And take into consideration that when Seattle paid Bobby, Jamal, and Russell, they were all the highest paid players at their position. I, I don't think we're going to see something that dissimilar with DK Metcalf. And, and, and I do think he'll be a Seahawk long-term. They, they love him. He had, Pete Carroll loves him. And I know it hasn't always been perfect there, but I, I really can't see them not taking care of their own in terms of DK. You know, the way I've looked at this, and you mentioned something really important. He has the same agent as A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown got his deal. Four years, 100 million, 57 guaranteed. That has to be the framework for this deal. And in my opinion, it's Seattle is willing to do it or you're not willing to do it. So step up to the plate. If not, I guess things could end up getting to a point where it's time to at least consider a trade. Do you believe that could be the scenario here? Because it's it's so simple. I mean, let's talk about Tory Dandy for a second. He has Chris Godwin and Mike Williams earlier this offseason. Godwin gets his deal. Or, or sorry, Williams gets his deal first, three years, 60 million. A few weeks later, Godwin gets basically the same exact deal, a little bit different language, but three years, 60 million. I would think that same scenario applies here of AJ Brown. We have this deal. You either can match it and go a little bit higher, or we're going to have to look elsewhere. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so you're saying that, but, but don't you think DK is going to get more than AJ? Yeah, more by about a million or two, probably, because that's usually the way the market works. What was the guaranteed number on AJ? Was it 50 or 57. More? Okay, so so I wonder if – to me, I, 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 I could DK not fetch close to 70 guaranteed? Is that too high? If it goes to a fifth year, maybe. Yeah, see, that's the thing. If it goes to the fifth year, then you can get that money, that extra guaranteed money, which he would be then a free agent at 29, still a pretty young player. I mean, we just saw Allen get paid at 29. So um, – I guess you're asking what would have to happen for Seattle to have to say, we're going to, we're going to start thinking about trade. Yeah. I mean, like the way I look at it is that you, you, you're either willing to go to where the AJ numbers are or you're not. I mean, it's the same agent you're working with. Okay, yeah. Right? But how can, how can John Schneider and Pete Carroll not go to that number? It's like it would, if, if they go there, if they went there for, for, for Jamal and Bobby and Russ, you know, DK is at a premium skill position. He's 24 Four. and 
you've already paid Tyler. Now Tyler's didn't get that kind of money, but I, I, what to me it also it doesn't send a very good message to the rest of the league to other potential free agents if you don't take care of DK Metcalf. Like he's he's arguably the best player on your team. I just can't imagine how they wouldn't pay him and they wouldn't you know take care of their own. It's not a great look if you're doing it now and not doing it before the draft as well. Because now all the guys are, you know, OTAs, mini camp, training camp. You're expecting this to be the team. And to trade away one of your best ones before the season starts, it's basically a sign, oh, we're going to put the season to the side and come back next year. That's the way I look at it. So I feel like they have to take care of him. But so far it hasn't happened yet. And just the way I look at it, the fact that he skipped mandatory mini camp, no excuse tells me that that's a sign from DK to Seattle. Like, listen, I've been very nice up until now, but we have to figure this out or else we're going to go into training camp. We have two new quarterbacks here and I'm going to be a hold in basically until you guys figure this out. That's probably the last thing that they want. So I think they have a couple more weeks to figure this out. If it's not figured out, I think this is the one wide receiver situation that really bears watching going into training camp. Is that fair to say? At least? Yeah, that, that is fair to say. That is fair to say. Um, I'm always sympathetic to Ari when rookie contracts get significantly outperformed. Uh, we see it. We've seen it with quarterbacks, you know, guys like Burrow or Russell uh, Wilson. When a wide receiver like DK, when you're outperforming your contract so considerably and it's now been three years in the league and you still haven't been paid, there has to be a sense of urgency. I know he's only 24, but you want to you, you want to get this done. Like it's a massive monkey on your back if you're a young NFL player who still hasn't gotten his 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 flowers, if you will. I mean, he's yep. done everything that he's supposed to do you know we, aj brown got paid we just saw mclaurin get paid um you know with all the respect to christian kirk getting 17 million dollars you know dk metcalf is a lot better player than christian kirk seattle has to do this like i, I don't even see it as an option if i'm john Snyder. I, I really don't but yes if it continues to go down that route that is one that you have to pay attention to Yep, and remember, last pick of the second round, that's really not great money at all. And you are right. He has way outperformed his rookie contract and will be well-deserved whenever he does get his new deal, whether it's in Seattle or somewhere else. We mentioned the Seattle quarterbacks. There's Drew Locke, Geno Smith. There's been some rumblings around here with, with Baker Mayfield. And I don't really believe the whole idea about Seattle yet. I think the only way he ends up there is if he's released or one of those elements in your mind, what happens to Baker Mayfield? He just spoke to an Oklahoma reporter and basically said, Cleveland, it sounds like it's time to move on. Both sides agree. Where do you think things end up going with Baker Mayfield um, here as we're about a month away from Cleveland Browns training camp opening up and Deshaun Watson discipline could happen any day from now? Yeah, I think I, Baker is another like super interesting guy because he's he's it seems like he's been in the nfl a lot longer than he has he's only 27 two years ago they were like a quarter away from the afc championship last year he has a terrible season he hurts his shoulder he probably plays through it when he shouldn't plays through it when he probably shouldn't have um i, I don't know how cleveland keeps him it's not a minimum not a minimal situation uh, everyone knows that now and baker made that abundantly clear the problem for andrew barry is the rest of the league knows that too and as this has got continued to be drawn out the browns have lost more leverage um they have Jacoby Brissett there who's a very capable contingency plan should deshaun be suspended long term 
I don't know how Baker Mayfield's not traded sooner than later. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think it's going to be Carolina and not Seattle, but there's, there's still interest in him. Teams are interested in Baker Mayfield. And the fact that the Browns are willing to eat a portion of that $18.7 million, that matters. You know, it's been a dollar and cents thing up until now. Like the fact that Cleveland has been open to moving him, despite the fact they don't know what the Watson discipline will be, tells me they're going to move on regardless. The yeah. problem is, is getting the money to even out with whichever team it ends up being. The way I've looked at it up until now is that, you know, they can figure it out. These teams want them to eat, let's just say, more than the 19 million. Baker, time is kind of ticking for him because it's going to be a new city, a new team, um, new, new coaching staff, new offense, new teammates, new everything. So if they're far apart by a million or two, I thought maybe at some point he's going to say, you know what, let me just take a $2 million pay cut just to get to my new team. Yeah. So far it hasn't happened. He doesn't have to do that. It's his money. It's fully guaranteed. He doesn't have to do it. But just thinking about the fact that it's going to be a new team in a new place, he's entering a contract year, and obviously every quarterback is looking for that big second deal. You would want to probably end up somewhere else as soon as possible. For now, Cleveland has been wait and see mode. I do agree with you though on one thing. I don't think Seattle is the team that will do a trade for him unless the money is significantly less. I think well, they would rather to just what? say, let, let me take yes, take away some of that, um, some of that money, and just let me get to a new team so I can get this thing going. Like that's going to behoove him short and long term. Right now, he's in no man's land. It's a terrible situation. Listen, his money is guaranteed no matter what, unless he does something drastic off the oh, field, I, which avoids it. He take one or two million off. Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought he would do. I remember this happened a couple of years ago. Yannick Ngakwe wanted out of Jacksonville, and he took like a $4 million pay cut just to get out and get traded to Minnesota. Didn't really work out for him, but point is he wanted to get out, and he did that in order to make it work. Baker could do the same thing if he wants to, but he doesn't have to do that. So um, for now, he's going to wait it out. And eventually, training camp is going to roll around. They can't just say, don't show up again. Um, if he wants to show up under the CBA, he could show up and just give a hug right. to Andrew Barry and and start stretching next to Kevin Stefanski and make everything awkward and blow it up in their that's face. It's, it's him and Stefanski. That's the relationship that's truly, truly severed. It's really bad. And that's been the biggest problem. When do you think that went wrong with those two? Because I, think it felt like I, I think it was so many things. You know, he drafted number one. He's the Heisman winner. Uh, he has some early success. But his – I said this the other day on, on, on Pat's show. I, uh, he's, he's not – he's not a mature quarterback. He's not – they look at all these great quarterbacks that have had sustained success. You know, let, why don't, this isn't the perfect comparison – but just look at Matthew Stafford in Detroit, another dysfunctional organization for a very long time. He never had playoff success. I think he went to the playoffs one time, put up great numbers, went to, um, you know, it was at least a pro bowler once, right? So bottom line is you never heard any issues from Matt Stafford. You know, he, he with Baker Mayfield, there's always been a problem. It's I'm not saying it's all on him, but there's always been a problem. And Kevin w just won't tolerate that. And, and um, that's been so it's been repeated, you know, immaturity uh, issues, not being a leader in the locker room. I think the situation with Odell didn't help. It's just a lot of different problems that continue to happen over time. Yeah, I haven't really know if if immature is the right word or cocky is the right word. I feel like there well, might be a bit of a difference there. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what Ian said. 
you know, we were texting about it the other day because I wanted to know what he meant when he oh. said, you know, say cocky or brash or whatever it said. That's that's you could that's fair, but I I would take it a step further, a half step further, and say immature. I mean, just talking to guys like he's not. You don't have to be loved in a, in a locker room to have success as a quarterback, but you need to be respected. And I, I don't think that there's like a tremendous amount of respect for Baker Mayfield in a locker room. The way I look at it, though, whenever he does get traded, I think the best version of Baker Mayfield is when Baker has a chip on his shoulder. So I feel like wherever he ends up going, knowing it's a contract year, and I don't know, situations could be terrible. I don't like the situation in Carolina with the coach. I don't love the situation in Seattle either. But Baker, if a chip on his shoulder, like we saw in Oklahoma a little bit, or we Mm. saw when he first got to Cleveland, that's the best version of Baker Mayfield. So like, if he's going to be healthy, which he is, coming up this year, I'm really curious to see how he does. I mean, because he's hearing all this stuff, right? He's been very quiet as of late. He's been very quiet. So that's where I'm really curious to see what happens because he's staying quiet. Remember when he came into the NFL, he had those sweatshirts with the um, undraftable or um, I don't remember what the words were, but he, he had those stuff, right? Yeah. So he hears all this stuff. So I feel like once he does come back eventually this year, I'm very curious to see how he does. Time will tell. Cleveland is in no rush for now. We'll see what happens in a couple of weeks when they have to report to training camp if no trade is done by them. I do want to talk about another quarterback, though, because this quarterback, this team is all in on him for this year at the very least. He's a talking point all the time on social media. It fascinates me because we're in mini camp and why are we talking so much about him? It's Tua in Miami. Everyone has their opinions on him. Everyone wants to kick him out. Everyone wants to, to drive him. It's, it's unbelievable. What do you think about Tua right now in this offense with Mike McDaniel, all these new pieces, Tyree Kills, Chase Edmonds is your boy. What do you think is going on in Miami with Tua? Is he the real deal or is the talk warranted over here? I'm fired up. I'm fired up. The talk is the talk is warranted to a degree because for was he the third pick? Fifth overall pick, second quarterback. Okay, so for being that high of a pick, uh, he has not had that level of success. And so it's warranted to a degree, but you also have to look at the situation. Um, I I think this is the first time we're going to see Tua Tungvaluwa playing pro bowl caliber football. I think he is going to have a very big season, not only because he's healthy, that hip is healthy, his arm He's going to be protected. Uh, I know center is still a little bit of a worry, but bottom line is the offensive line is pretty good or at least, you know, adequate, better. 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 They brought in Chase Edmonds. They brought in Raheem Mostert. Um, Obviously, Gaskin's still there. They bring in arguably the fastest player we've ever seen next to the other fastest player we've ever seen, or one of them. So you have Hill and Waddle. You have this freak matchup nightmare in Gusecki. I love what the Dolphins have done offensively. And, oh, by the way, last season, they had two of the best rookies in the league. So, for me, uh, and Javon Holland and uh, Jalen Phillips. So, for me, he's going to have a really good season. Miami's a playoff team. I- I'm really excited about the Dolphins. Like, I, I, that's one of the teams I'm looking at. And I'm like, man, if they, if, if they stay healthy, Tua's going to flip this whole narrative, and this team's going to have a big season. I just want to see how Mike McDaniel does as a head coach, first time head coach, right? This is a guy who's been, you know, basically in his, you know, with Kyle Shannon, his whole career is locked up in a room and drawing play. Now as a head coach, I want to see that. 
for this offense, it's it's virtually impossible to think it won't make magic happen. Just think about all those guys you mentioned, from Hill to Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Mostert, Edmonds, the offensive line with Armstead and Connor Williams coming in. Like this thing has to work somewhat. I like I, I get it. Tua might not have that deep ability to throw the ball down the field, but he doesn't have to do it with all these fast guys around him, right? So like that's what I'm fascinated by. As long as he's able to play above average quarterback play this team should have fireworks on offense right 100 percent. but dude i'm telling you miami is going to be if you're if you're a if you're a sports gambler bet them over wins you know if you want to say when the afc east maybe that's a little much because buffalo but this team is super dangerous and mike mcdaniel is the perfect hire I, I said it all along he he is not only like a brainiac you know like football nerd that's great, but he relates to guys. He's got swag. You know, when I talked to guys in the Niners, it, it was super positive. And there was a lot of things that I think Mike did behind the scenes that Kyle might have gotten credit for. And this is not a knock on Kyle, but Mike was a huge part of that offense's success. And, you know, all due respect to Jimmy, I think Sue has got a lot more, you know, talent than Garoppolo. And I think he's gonna going to be chip on his shoulder and motivated. So I think it was a perfect hire. And Mike McDaniel, and I think they're going to have success right away. Just, just so you know, what you mentioned about Kyle, Kyle would would admit that. Like Kyle, he was his run game coordinator there in San Francisco, and basically locked into his room. Kyle would never walk into that room. He's like, I trust Mike; he'll take care of it. It was always about Kyle would walk into the passing game coordinator or to the running backs room, which those type of things. But for for McDaniel's room. He was like, I trust this guy. He knows what he's doing. The game plan is ready. So, yeah, he was a hidden gem for Kyle. And losing it will be big. I do want to see how he does as a head coach. Let's shift over to the NFC West. This is another thing that fascinates me, and it's another question that I have. The Arizona Cardinals. Last year, 7-0 start. Best team in football. They get to 10-2. They just collapse from there. They go 11-6. Terrible playoff performance against the Rams. Get eliminated. A lot of drama about Cliff, Steve Keim, Kyler Murray. I think the contract eventually gets done, but now Hopkins suspended for six games. Where do you sit with this Cardinals team? Because the reality is ever since Cliff got there, they've every year gotten a little bit better, got better, got better. But when it comes to end of the year, they keep on falling off. Where are you right now with this team about where they could be coming up this year? So I like Arizona because, first of all, I'm a big Cliff supporter, and maybe that – uh, isn't maybe not all Cardinals fans would say that, but if you look at before and after, since he's been there, they they've had more success. Um, it all comes down to one. I mean, I think a deal with Kyler will happen. Maybe it's not going to be for everything he wants, but I think that will get done. Bringing in Hollywood was huge for them. And that was a deal that basically they were sworn to secrecy on. Nobody talked about this. And then all of a sudden it was a bomb on draft night. And not only is Hollywood, uh, you know, not only is he an electric playmaker, but he goes way back to OU and Norman with Kyler. They're, they're very good friends. So that's going to make a huge difference, especially without Hop. You, you have Rondell Moore, another year older. Cliff loves him. Um, you know, James Conner is back. They bring in uh, Keontae Ingram and Darrell Williams. So they have, a, a, I think, a pretty, pretty damn good running game. I think defensively, you know, you're going to have to see steps from uh, Collins, the second-year kid out of Tulsa. You're going to need to see more from the defense consistently. You know, that, I thought the second half of the season they were, they, you know, they, they struggled. And, you know, Kyler 
I go back to him, though, because ultimately this team is going to hinge on whether or not he plays well. And then you go back to those last few games in the regular season, the pick six and the two picks he threw against the Rams in his playoff debut, you, you just can't do that. And he's too talented and too good of a player to consistently have those problems in big games. So ultimately, I like Arizona a lot. Um, I guess I would question back to you. Defensively, do they have enough? I'm worried the fact that they lost Chandler Jones and they really didn't do anything about it. That, I mean, like you have J.J. Watt, who is awesome when he's healthy, Wait. but he, he's always getting hurt. It's a problem. It's the reality. Now Chandler Jones is gone as well. So where is the pass rush coming from? They need Isaiah Simmons and or Zayvon Collins to play like a first round pick. Both of them. They just have it. Both. They have not, right? And those picks were criticized um, because it's an inside linebacker position. You shouldn't be picking them that high, especially – back-to-back years both have not done much at all so you need to see something out of those guys right so defensively i'm actually really worried also the cornerbacks byron murphy is great after that i don't know what you guys have who, so who was, pick? who was what who was their first pick arizona this year they traded it for marquis brown second round they took the tight end trey mcbride okay okay they, I, let me tell you this they are really excited about him the kid out of colorado state right yeah they, they, I talked to Cliff about him. They, they really like him. He's really athletic. He's tough. He's big. He can, he's already a seam guy. He's fast. Um, I don't know how long it takes for him, but between him and Ertz, you know, that's another guy. I mean, they, they took care of Ertz too. Uh, he's going to be a factor, McBride. I don't know if it's right away, but he'll be a factor. So, yes, I agree with you defensively, but they're going to score a ton of points. I think the way I look at it with them, at least for these first six games without, without D-Hop, their schedule is brutal. They have Kansas City to open yeah. the year. But the way I look at it is those tight ends you just mentioned, right? Ertz, um, McBride, they also have Max Williams coming back, who was really good last year before he got injured. Those three guys are going to have to play a big role in those first six games without Hop. It's going to be critical. If they're able to go three and three, even two and four, to start the year, and then Hopkins is coming back, that's where I feel like, okay, there's a chance over here. But if they have an awful start to the year, one and five or whatever, it's going to be tough. The one thing I do want to say, Cliff has heard about all these stuff where I start great and then boom, right? He's heard all about that. I think there's the whole narrative for him that he really wants to prove people wrong about that this year because he's sick and tired about hearing it. It reminds me a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of Sean McVay last year where going into the MC championship game, everyone was talking about first Kyle Shanahan, 0 for 6 in his last six games, 0 for 6. That was the entire narrative going into that game. And the goal was just to beat Shanahan and get this stat out of my face. So I feel like for Cliff this year, his one goal is just to have an okay start, but at least have a really good ending so that narrative can finally end. Do you feel like that from, from your conversation yeah. with him? Do you sense that as well? Well, I, I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't asked him, hey, you, you, you struggle down the stretch. Is that a motivating factor? But what we have talked about is how he's so, so ready to win. Like, I asked him uh, a couple months back about Kyler. I was like, can you just give me a sense of, like, what his upside is? And he was like, honestly, this guy is one of the most talented players I've ever seen. You know, and, and th- that goes back 30 years of him playing and coaching football. He, he, he thinks Kyler Murray is, is just so, so oozing with upside. And he wants to harness all of that and put it on the field. And – you know, I know Kyler is still a young player, but he, he there is so much there to work with. And Cliff is so motivated to win, to reward 
front office for giving him that extension. I think it was, was it three or four years? Um, he knows, he knows what he has to do. I mean, the guy's been grinding. He, he has been grinding and there is a tremendous amount of motivation for him uh, to have sustained playoff success. So yes. So for people who are wondering the stat that is going around everywhere, dating back to 2013, when he was at college with Texas tech, he starts the year games, number one through seven, he's 42 and 20 the rest of the year. He's 16 and 43. So every year at the end of the year, he just struggles, whatever it is. So I think that narrative is something that he for sure wants to put in end this year. Let's flip over to the other West and that's the AFC West. This division is insane. It's on, it's, it's the best division I've seen in a very long time, right? You have Russell Wilson coming in, Devontae Adams coming in, the chiefs are the chiefs. And um, um, you have the Chargers, of course, who went out and won crazy this offseason as well. Which team is the team to beat still there in the AFC West? And which team is a bit overhyped right now for you? Uh, man, that's tough. It's so it's tough. tough. Because you, you have to understand, everybody has all four teams going to the playoffs. And the chances of that actually happening are very slim. So someone's not going to make it from these four teams. Yeah. I still think the team to beat is the Chiefs. Because they they haven't been dethroned in the AFC West. Um you know, the Chargers have a sexy team, the Raiders, the Broncos, but the Chiefs are still the team to beat. And I know, obviously, Tyreek's not there, but what did they do to at least help compensate for some of that? They go out and sign MBS. They draft uh, Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, who's a day-one contributor. Um, they, yeah, they, they get Juju, and they also bring in um, Ronald Jones. So Kansas City, is the offense is going to be incredible. Um for me to say that they're not the team to beat, I just, I can't not say that. And I think Mahomes is going to have a monster year, like bigger than he did last year. I think he's going to have a better season. I think, you know, he hears people saying, you know, well, we're just going to put two safeties high and, and let you pick us apart over the middle. And now that you don't have Tyreek, whatever, I don't buy any of that. Like he's going to explode again. Uh, I look at the Chargers and you mentioned their crazy offseason. So they bring in JC Jackson, you know, great young corner who gets a ton of picks. Um, they take care of Mike Williams. They obviously have Keenan Allen. They bring in Isaiah Spiller, which I cannot overstate the impact that he's going to have, not only for Austin, but just as a change of pace, light, you know, a thunder guy. You know, they, they, they've tried it with, with Jackson, with Josh Kelly, uh, with Roundtree. None of those guys have been able to fulfill that role. And, you know, Austin is – they don't want Austin having 20-plus touches a game, not every game. And that's where Spiller comes in. And he's got some juice, too. I think the offensive line will be good. They're going to get after the passer. The Chargers, on paper, the Chargers are one of the most talented teams in the league. So that would be the team I would look at and I would say, if we don't win 12, 13 games and make a push to a Super Bowl, that's a disappointment. Where do you sit with the Raiders? Okay, this is the team that fascinates me because yeah, I love tough. Devontae Adams. I love Chandler Jones. I think Derek Carr is great. Josh McDowell's getting a second chance. I think he'll figure it out. Where do you sit with that team? I, 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 I like the Raiders. I mean, what's what's not to lie? You, I guess if, you, if someone say I don't love the Raiders because they don't trust Derek, is that the problem? I don't know what it is because <laughs> that offense is really insane, though. Like, it... it Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Waller. Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, the offensive. I mean, like, there's nothing not to like there. Like, I'm just trying to figure out where well, is the weakness in this AFC West where one of these teams are not making it, right? Like, where is that? Is there something that you could pinpoint to? 
Well, let me, this is not the answer to your question, but this is what came to mind first. When Chandler signed with the Raiders, I mean, I was talking to Chandler those last three or four days. And I, why did he go to the Raiders? Because it's not like he didn't have interest elsewhere. There were a lot of other teams in the mix. He went to the Raiders because he really felt like the, he connected with the coaching staff. And I think this goes to a bigger point with Josh McDaniels. What he learned from the first unsuccessful stint and some of the issues since, you know, we could talk about the Colts as well. Um, uh, I'm what was this? Where, where was he, the head coach? The Broncos. Yeah, Broncos. So totally blanked on that. I'm sorry. But Josh McDaniels, what he learned from that, and I think what the answer is, how to delegate and understand that it's okay not to have the answers, all the answers, all the time. Have, have smart assistants. So what do they do? They bring in a really good D.C. from the Giants. Uh, McDaniels will be a big part of the offense, but he'll be able to delegate uh, defensively uh, to, to Graham. So I, I, I'm trusting if I'm a Raider fan or an NFL fan, I, I believe that Josh McDaniels is going to extract the most from this, this roster. I'm sure they'll have growing pains, but Derek Carr is very good. You don't need him to be elite. You just need him to be very good. And you mentioned Chandler Jones. I mean, the impact that he will have is, is going to be huge. Putting Chandler alongside Max Crosby is just scary to think about already. So, like, I think one of, the, one of the reasons he also mentioned about going to Vegas was pairing up with Max Crosby, who also got paid this he, offseason as well. Yeah, he told me point blank, this guy is a generational talent, like, he about Crosby. And, and that says a lot because Chandler is basically in that conversation himself. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, all-decade team. So, um, and then you mentioned Devontae, I, you know, I wouldn't overstate as well the impacts of their two years at Fresno State together. There's a lot of synergy there. Um, you know, Derek Carr is not Aaron Rodgers, but he doesn't have to be. I think Devontae Adams is going to have a monster year. I, I don't know what the splits will be considering Renfro and Waller will, come, will get a lot. And also you have uh, Foster Moreau who's a good young tight end, but Adams is going to be a huge factor. It's a fascinating division. We didn't even talk about the Broncos who got Russell Wilson this offseason. Another really good team in that division. You like so, it? What do you think about Denver? Again, the, the thing for me is whenever you have a new head coach and also yeah. a new quarterback as well, it takes time for everything to gel. So that would be where maybe that could be the pinpoint for me. But Russell Wilson is a winner, man. Like this guy's always been winning besides for this past year in Seattle. So I can't find something about any of these four teams that tells me, all right, that's the team, even right. though everyone loves them. That's the team that will make it. I really don't know. It's a, it's a great division. Every game will be amazing. They have the most primetime games from any division in the NFL. So it's going to be amazing. It really will. But like the quarterbacks, the receivers, the running backs, the defense, everything in this division is stacked. We didn't even mention the Chargers added Khalil Mack as well. So many new players were added. So many guys were added into this division this year that it just makes everything so interesting. And there's no divisions I'll be watching more closely than that one. And really, we don't have an answer to that question because it is that difficult. All right, a couple more here before I wrap this up. Another thing that I'm really fascinated by, the New Orleans Saints. The reason I say that, when Sean Payton leaves, you would think, all right, let's take a step back. We've been all in all the time. Let's take a step back a little bit. They do the opposite. They keep on going all in. They hire Dennis Allen. They trade all these draft picks. They add Jarvis Landry. They add Taron Matthew. They get Chris Olave. They add uh, Trevor Penning. They do so many more moves to keep on going all in instead of taking that step back. Do you believe the Saints are a team that can make noise in the NFC? Remember, they won nine games last year. 
with four different quarterbacks. But Sean Payne is no longer there. Jameis Winston is back. Yeah. Where do you sit with this team? Do you believe this is a team that could make noise here in the NFC? What's noise? Like a playoff team? A playoff team compete with Tampa. Remember that ever since Tom Brady got to Tampa, they're four and in the regular season against him, yeah, including yeah. a shutout win last year of Dennis Allen as the head coach. So they've been able to compete with him besides for that one playoff game. Point is, do you feel this I, is a team that could do something without Sean Payton? Sean Payton has been the identity of the franchise for, for two decades. It's so hard to know the impact of him not being there. Um, I think Dennis Allen getting the job was always kind of a formality. Yeah. Um, Jameis played pretty well last season before he got hurt. And now that you add Olave, hopefully, you know, Michael Thomas healthy and juice, I mean, that's, that's a pretty damn good trio. Uh, you mentioned penning the, the, the tackle from uh, Northern Iowa. He'll, he'll impact day one as well. So they lose Armstead, but they get a really good young rookie. Um, I think New Orleans is a competitive team. They're a competitive team. I don't know if that means nine wins, eight, 10. I think they're in that mix. So if, you know, year to year, close games, it varies. If you get that good variance and that, you know, you don't regress and they could, they could win 10 games. Yeah. They, they could be a playoff team. I mean, the NFC is so wide open. The, the AFC has so many juggernauts. I guess you could say it's wide open too, but the NFC, do we look at any team and say, for sure, that's a Super Bowl? Team. I don't know. So I, I look at I look at New Orleans as a competitive team. Because I think the way they looked at this offseason when it started, they were like, you know what? The NFC over time became weaker, right? All these star players switched conferences. Right. So they were like, you know what? Let's do one more push. Let's go for it. Right. So they did that. They added all these pieces. The NFC South, I don't expect Atlanta to be competitive. Um, I think Carolina will be better. I don't know who's that quarterback. I don't think they'll be competing with New Orleans and Tampa Bay. So they look at that part of it. So I feel like they could be competitive enough to get into the playoffs, sure. which ultimately is what they want. They always want to be all in pushing. Once you get to the playoffs, it's not like basketball, you have to win a best of seven, right? It's one game, anything could happen. So like, I feel like New Orleans looks at this and they're like, you know what? Let's keep on going all out. The thing that people kind of forget a little bit, and I'll, I'll tell you this, they traded a first-round pick next year with Philadelphia, right? They don't have a first-round pick next year. They get Olave, they get Penning. I think they did that trade knowing that next year Champagne is coming back and they could wow. recoup, recoup that first-round pick. So I think they, this is a little bit – it's a bit It's a little bit smart that's, if that's the way they played it out. I think that's what they're looking at. Champagne's going to come back next year. There's going to be a war for him. We'll get a first-round pick somewhere for him, and that's how we, we recoup it. And for now, we have two cheap contracts. So this is a team. This is a team that has a very smart front office, man. So if Jameis could play well, I remember he had five touchdowns week one last year against Green Bay. So like we we've seen it. It's going to be interesting to see how they do. But I believe they're a team that can at least be competitive enough to get one of those playoffs. One thing for sure is Jameis can't go through a, a an off season without a strange workout video. Did you see the <laughs> on, on I the saw yesterday. Barbell. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> He is the most unintentional, hilarious man uh, I in mean, the NFL. But no, that's a good point. Um, and I know Brian Hartline, the receivers coach at Ohio State, loved Chris Olave. And evaluators have told me that he is the most ready, smoothest, you know, wide receiver uh, in that class. So I, I'm excited about him. And I, I, I do. They're going to score a lot of points. I'll tell you that. All right, you're segueing right into my last thing over here. I have who is your early prediction? for offensive rookie of the year and defense rookie of the year. My guy 
is the guy you just mentioned, Chris Olave. I think he's going to go off this year because the Saints, they have a really good eye for talent. They went yep. all out to make sure to get this guy. They traded a future one, a future two, traded up to 11 to make sure they get him. I think they see something with him. He's going to be awesome in that offense. Who do you have as your early pick for offense rookie of the year and then defense rookie of the year? Okay. Is it just one or do you want me to do like a few guys? I want your top guy and then give me your honorable mentions as well, if you want. My top guy? Oh, man. It's, it's, it, I, I, it's, okay. I love Jameson Williams, but, I, you know, just not knowing exactly when he's going to be ready. I'll go Garrett Wilson. Um, I, I freaking love Garrett Wilson. And I just got him at, was it 11, I think? It was 10. 10. 10. 10. 10. This guy is just, he's an incredible athlete. He goes to Ohio State, and he's really kind of a raw basketball player athlete. Turns himself into arguably the best receiver in the country and a completely dominant force at Ohio State. And now you bring him into an offense with a quarterback who's athletic enough to move the pocket, can throw deep. You pair him next to Elijah Moore. And I love that one-two punch. So if you're looking for second-year guys, Moore. But Garrett Wilson, to me, has all the tools to have a massive rookie year. And a sleeper for me is on that same team as well in Brees Hall. You know, Michael Carter, I love. But you pair him with Brees Hall, a rookie out of Iowa State, who I think really surprised people when he ran in the four threes. We consider how tough physical running. How I'm sorry. <clears throat> I think it surprised people when he ran in the four threes when you consider how tough and physical of a runner he is. So Brees Hall would be a sleeper for me. Obviously, I mentioned Jameson, but I do love Garrett Wilson. All right, stats on the We're offensive side. London. Think he's in that mix? Who? Drake London. I think he's going to get a lot of target just based off that offense. And yeah. I know that Arthur Smith loves his big body guys. I mean, how, it's a matchup nightmare having Kyle Pitts and London in that same offense. And Patterson, so, him back out. Patterson in there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating team. I just, the offensive line has to hold up, first of all. I don't know what to expect from Mariota or Ritter if it's him. But, um, yeah, no one's talking about Atlanta, but having those two big-bodied basketball players out there basically is a fascinating thing. And I think he has potential to be in that conversation just based off the fact I expect some blowout games in there and they're going to have to force-feed him in those third and fourth quarters. So, yeah, he's someone who could definitely have some stat padding going on as well for him. So who do you have on the defensive side? We didn't get there yet. <laughs> Who do I have? All right. My top guy is Kayvon Thibodeau with the Giants. Wow. Yeah. I am all in on him. I've heard a lot. Um, First of all, the Giants loved him a lot in the draft process. And they realized that um, in the draft, when they were picking fifth overall, that once the offensive linemen were all still there, they could pass on one and take KY number five because they loved him that much. Make sure no trade happens at six or somebody gets him. So just, you know, just understand how much they love him. That's part of it. But this guy, he just feels like New York. I feel like he's going to have all the lights on him and he's just going to hit it off. I don't know. I know people had questions about him in the draft process. Oh, he's not serious about football. In order for him to have all that success on off the field, he needs to have the success on the field first. And I feel like his rookie year, He's going to go off. This team needs a pass rush. They have Aziz Ojari from Georgia, who had a pretty good year last year. Him on the opposite side. It's a new defense. I feel like Kayvon is bound to have a big year for the Giants. The Giants have a history of winning Rookie of the Year. They had it with Odell. They had it with Saquon. Let's get another one in there with the Giants. I have Kayvon. Yeah, I love, Thibodeau is made for New York. And one note I'll say is that 
going back a couple of years when Herbert was getting drafted, I asked the Oregon guys, um, Hey, do I buy into this, him not being a leader? He's not vocal enough. And they all said, it's nonsense. He's the guy. They all said that. Well, I talked to the same guys about Thibodeau and they said basically the same thing, you know, don't buy into that. He's got other interests. This guy is a dog and I would love to play with him at the next level. That, that's what I heard. So I'm excited about Thibodeau as well. Um, I think Hutchinson is a day one 10 sack guy for the Lions. I know they loved him. He's a local yeah. guy, too. So I think he's going to be an instant impact guy. Derek Seeley, though, too, and Houston. I, I could see having five, six picks as a rookie and just completely dominating. I know that, you know, Sauce goes uh, – I think Sauce went ahead of him, right? Was it – no, no. Sa- he, Sauce went right. next he went ahead yeah. of Sauce. And then people wavered back and forth. They waffled. Who's the better corner? Nothing against Sauce. But I think Stingley is going to have – a huge career and an instant impact guy. And one other sleeper is Kyle Hamilton in, in Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore's had a great, you know, has so many good safeties over the years. Obviously, you know, Weddle and Reed. I, Hamilton was one of the best athletes in the draft, one of the smartest guys. I think his ability to make up ground is just insane. And I think they're going to deploy him right away to do just that. So I, I like him as a sleeper. He just drops to Baltimore. They make the easy pick like they always do. Yeah. Love him there. All right. Last one here before I wrap this up. It's a fun question. An NFL team not getting enough attention that you believe will surprise people this upcoming season. Well, the Ravens are one of them, but I'd love to give you, I I do like the Ravens. I think, I think Lamar is going to have a huge year, massive bounce back year. Um, And Bateman as well. I think he's going to have a big year. But let me give you someone else. Let me let me think about that. Um, give me something juicy, Jordan. Give me a, a juicy pick over here. How about the G-Men? Giants. The G-Men. Daniel Jones, first year, Brian Dayball. You mentioned Thibodeau. Obviously, Evan Neal. So you have Neal on the right side, Thomas on the left side. You book in the line there. And listen, I, I know that it's been a rough couple of years, but I think this, this is the year that Saquon shows why he was – was he the second pick in the draft? I mean, he's going to have an overall. Yeah. He, I think Saquon's going to have an all pro caliber season. I, I really, he's healthy. He's in great shape. The line is improved. Dayball loved, Dayball loves him. And, and Kafka as well, the new OC from Buffalo. Um, so it's, it's Kafka, right? Kafka from KC, Dayball from Buffalo. KC, yeah. um, former quarterback himself in Northwestern. So I'm yeah. excited about the Giants. I know that you mentioned Aziz, uh, him and Thibodeau both. I think really good young pass rushers. And uh, I think Adore will have a good year. Got to stay healthy. But that division's for the taking. I mean, you, you can point at any one of those teams, Washington, Dallas, New York, and Philly, and say, okay, I could see them winning it. There's no reason for me why Daniel Jones doesn't pop and why the Giants don't become a team to watch. All right. So I'll wrap this up with this. Um, we do our show here at PFF, PFF at night. We were asked about Daniel Jones. Eli Manning recently made comments and he was like, you know, it's been unfair for Daniel Jones. He's been in the NFL for three years, ever since he got in rotating coaches, right? It was um, Shermer and Shula. Then it was Judge and Garrett. Then it was Judge and Garrett and Freddie Kitchens. Every year, new people, new voices. And besides the fact that the offensive line has been terrible, his um, skill positions are always injured from Barkley to Galladay to Tony to Engram to Shepard. They're never on the field at the same time. This is the first time where he's going to have everybody. You mentioned Barkley. He needs to have a big year for his own sake. And yeah. this coaching staff, man, I love this coaching staff. I love Dayball. Kafka, you mentioned, future head coach. Mark it down. He's going to be a head coach in this league. Besides for all that, I think he has the right voices in his mind. 
And I think he has really good players around him. And they declined his fifth year option. So he's playing on his final year of his rookie year, uh, of his rookie deal. He has to have a big year for his own sake, because if he does, he's getting franchise tagged at the end of the year and they start working on an extension. So this is the first time he has a good team around him. I heard Michael, I heard Michael Strahan say this the other day. Brian Dayball reached out to him and he's like, hey, Michael, I know you work with Jimmy Johnson. Can I get Jimmy Johnson's number? Strahan said it's the first time over these last few head coaches the Giants have had that wow. any player, any coach has started reaching out to the legends of our organization and started feeding off of us and hearing from us and trying to work with us. He said, Shermer didn't do that. Judge didn't do that. McAdoo didn't do that. He feels like Dayball is going to be different. And Jimmy Johnson texted him back later that day. He's like, Michael, the Giants are in good hands with this guy. So he has a good coaching staff around him. I think, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll improve. And for his own sake to get a new contract, he needs to have a big year. So I am looking forward to see how the Giants do this year. I love all those points. And Justin Tuck has echoed a lot of that to me. You know, the coaching staff reaching out, trying to understand about, you know, trying to incorporate giant legends back into the mix. And uh, and I've also, one thing I'll say is I, I've talked to Daniel about uh, Saquon and Tony. He said both of them look great, really great. And um, they obviously, obviously, they also added Wandale Robinson, a Kentucky really playmaker. So I'm with you, man. I think the Giants are going to be vastly improved. I don't know how many wins that means, but they will be much better. And I think a big year for, for DJ. Jordan, we're both in New York. This this entire city needs some good football. We need Whether both. it's the Giants, the Jets, anybody. They need good football. I do feel the hype around both these teams here in the city. We'll see how they do. Jordan, thanks for taking the time. We'll do this again. Everyone can follow me on Twitter. It is at Schultz underscore report. Check it out. A lot of breaking news on your feed. And um, Jordan, thanks for coming out. We'll definitely do it again. My pleasure, Art. Thank you, brother.